Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Star Trek Strange New World Season 1 is a little over halfway over, and we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello everybody, Mike Bloom here, back with yet another periodic installment of Star Trek coverage here on Post Show Recaps. And as soon as we saw Star Trek Strange New Worlds humming along through Season 1, I knew that I had to say, hit it! to some more coverage and so we are back doing a little bit of like a belated mid-season catch-up talking about six very different yet i would say extraordinary episodes of star trek strange new worlds the project that was birthed out of popular acclaim for anson mounts christopher pike ethan peck spock and rebecca romaine's number one a spinoff series was created it finally debuted and i am so so glad it did but of course, I'm not alone here. No man nor ship is an island. And so it is a one-man crew here. I guess it's sort of us operating a shuttle pod instead of any sort of proper, proper spacecraft. But still happy to have this guy sitting side saddle with me. Of course, he joined me back during our coverage of the premiere of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, which, believe it or not, was a little bit over like six months ago. It seems like it has both been so small a time yet so large a time but he is a trekkie in every sense of the letter please welcome brendan fitzpatrick back to the podcast brendan how you doing mike don't tell anybody but i love this job (laughs) yes exactly nothing like the exaggerated stage whisper to be like that strange new worlds a little cheesy but just oh so lovable so so lovable and it's great to be back here with the lovable mike bloom to talk another star show um maybe if we reboot stargate we can do a stargate podcast too and just keep the stars rolling 
Yeah, never say never. Look, we have two out of the three major star sci-fi franchises currently rebooted. You just need to get like a famous face behind the effort, whether it be a John Favreau, whether it be an Alex Kurtzman. We just need a third musketeer to stand in there. And before you know it, we become the the SNPSR is going to stand for star. What's J.J. Abrams up to? It's time for him to reboot Stargate. Let's go. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, given uh, maybe the reputation of the rise of Skywalker, mm. maybe people yeah, might... Yeah, I'm going to walk that one back real quick. Let's, let's edit that out, but... No, he's good, for, he's good for beginnings, I should say. He's, he's good very for the good beginnings, for beginnings of rebootings. Yeah. So, that being said, I mean, speaking of reboots, it's kind of a loose way to describe Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Again, mm-hmm. I'll sort of describe the history behind this, was that Star Trek Discovery Season 2 took place during the TOS era of, of the 2300s. And they happened to have a character, Michael Burnham, who was the adopted sister of Spock. Uh, and then, of course, throughout season one, people were wondering, are we going to get a Spock? Are we going to get a Kirk here? The question was kind of answered in the last shot of Star Trek Discovery season one, which saw the Enterprise showing up to greet the titular ship. Then season two was able to bring about this version of Spock, again, played by Ethan Peck. I was able to bring about briefly glimpses of the number one, which was previously played by Majel Barrett, uh, now played by Rebecca Romaine. And probably with no offense to the other two, the big to do, the hair big to do, if you will, uh, which was Captain Christopher Pike previously played in the pilot all the way back when it was the cage in Star Trek uh, before it even became TOS. Uh, seen mm-hmm. m- in a much more graphic light in the menagerie and mm-hmm. now being brought to full light and full bodied hair by Anson Mount went over with roaring success to the point where, again, as I mentioned before, a groundswell movement built amongst Trekkies to say, let's get them their own series. Discovery is jumping thousands of years into the future, but let's stay around here. Kirk isn't coming around for a little bit. Let's see what Pike's crew actually would have done. Let's finish what Roddenberry tried to start decades and decades ago. And they listened. And the result was Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, that being said, there's probably a fair chance that you were happening upon this podcast being like, I haven't caught up to it yet. Either I'm busy with just the absolute, like, triple load of tv going on at the moment uh, or maybe you know star trek discovery season four star trek picard season two were very much not my speed should i check out strange new worlds so we'll talk a little bit in spoiler free terms before we get into specific stuff that we've seen over the past six episodes but i think i speak on behalf of mr fitzpatrick and myself when i say the answer to that question is a resounding yes it's an unequivocal yes for me. Um, I mean, this show not only has the three amazing leads that you mentioned in Anson Mount, Rebecca Remain, and an unrecognizable at first, Ethan Peck, because back in uh, Discovery Season 2, he had a beard, and mm-hmm. they shaved down that beard and have a regular-looking uh, Ethan Peck as Spock for strange new worlds and i didn't recognize him for the first couple episodes i think i i messaged you or one of my other friends and was like is this did they recast spock and he's like no no it's still ethan peck i was like what really i did not recognize him so he looks great um this show is really really fun and not only do we have those three leads but this show goes out of its way to focus on the actual crew of the enterprise and stop down to let us get to know so many of the amazing crew members 
on board the Enterprise. And that's one reason I'm really, really loving it is um, it's much more low stakes and serialized than any of the recent Star Trek in Picard or Discovery uh, to date. And I think that's one thing you and I were pining about at the beginning of Star Trek Discovery 4 was why does everything have to be such big stakes with this crew and this galaxy? Why is it always some galaxy-ending catastrophe that Michael Burnham has to try to pre prevent? And it's almost like they were listening to our podcast and they were like, guys, just wait. Wait for Strange New Worlds. We got something special for you. And they, they've delivered. They've absolutely delivered on a classic, as you said, kind of a reboot version of Star Trek and what Star Trek was originally meant to be. Yeah, it's it's really tough to say because, again, like I enjoy a lot of parts of Star Trek Discovery. I enjoy a lot of parts mm -hmm. of Star Trek Picard. But I also want to be like, Strange New Worlds is better than both of them at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's tough because like I don't want to satisfy that section of the fan base right, that's like, right, you know, right. modern Star Trek sucks, Be bring back DS9, bring back TNG, because again, I feel like that's just not a group I, I want to necessarily feed at the I... moment, but the, the fact of the matter is the storytelling is incredibly strong here, and, mm -hmm. and I think it comes down to what you mentioned before, so this is something that they really hung their hat on even before the series was put out, that they really made it adamant that Star Trek Strange New Worlds was going back to the formula, really, of, like, the first five series, uh, with the exception of, like, you know, some DS9 stuff and obviously mm -hmm. some two-parters, which is not necessarily a lack of serialization, but more so, like, episodic storytelling, right? That it's like, right. they have a crisis to solve in this one episode, and they mm -hmm. typically tend to move on from that. I think the threads that continue are more character-based exactly. than, than I would say story-based. And what I really like about Strange New Worlds is that that reminds you of the freedom you can have as a writer in doing Absolutely. that, right? This idea of like, okay, to your point, I don't have to set up this big MacGuffin or mystery to solve or galaxy-ending plot that we have to solve at the end of every season. And then I don't have to like, deconstruct that into 13 different story beats that can last across an entire season. Mm -hmm. If you have a big idea, you can certainly make it a two-parter if you want to. But if not, sure. if you just have a one-off idea of like, oh, Spock and his partner switch bodies, uh, then you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write an episode about that. And that's the thing is that I feel like Star Trek Strange New Worlds doesn't feel any sort of sense of stretching to me. And you know, this is certainly the case with a lot of other Star Trek series as well. Like, again, going back to Discovery and Picard, some of my favorite episodes, for instance, Picard, the episode Nepenthe, which has Picard visit uh, Riker and Troy on their home planet, I would consider a bit more episodic and one of the best episodes of the series. One of my favorite episodes of Discovery was all the way back in season one, where Harry Mudd, uh, they do sort of like the live, die, repeat thing, right? Where he comes in inside the Gormagander and they keep tripping that Groundhog Day sequence. That was more of an episodic storytelling, and I absolutely loved it. It's absolutely fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the thing for me is there's just a sense of fun here. And not to mm -hmm. say that it, it, that's missing from the other two. Maybe it's also the idea of, like, I know Discovery took on some incredibly heavy topics that did not necessarily mm -hmm. make it feel so much fun to explore the galaxy. I'm feeling that with Strange New Worlds. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I, it's not that I want to dis... Picard or Discovery because they're both 
like really fun in their own way and still immensely watchable television. I mean, they are still Star Trek in their own way and they're completely valid in the way they are presenting those shows because they obviously have a vision and not everything has to be for everyone, but I think Strange New Worlds is doing a really great job of sort of opening back up the world to a more casual audience. Yeah, you know that's what a, I mean? Because it's a, I, yeah. I think one of the things that also is a pro- has been a on-again, off-again problem with Star Trek is the Paramount Plus problem, where it's on Paramount Plus, and people either aren't subscribing to it because they think it's way too niche and way too like nerdy sci-fi for them. But this is actually a really good gateway track that you can attract the casual viewer with. Mm. You know what I mean? Rather than a fourth season of a show that's doing an overarching arc or a second season of a show that's doing an overarching arc, this is a good reset to try to get people on board with Paramount Plus and with the vision of Star Trek moving forward. Do you think there'd ever be a chance that CBS would air Strange New World season one at all? Because they did do that with Star Trek Discovery. I remember last summer they aired, I think it was season one in anticipation for the upcoming season three or season four. Do you think if Strange New Worlds builds enough fervor, maybe in anticipation for season two, which we already know is renewed and coming out sometime next year, that they would try to do that again? I think they should. And I think this is much more of an accessible show to try something like that with than than discovery i think but um i yeah yeah i think they definitely should and i think it it could pay off for them um i know paramount plus is sort of the one of the lower consider one of the lower tier streaming services at this point and this would be a way to sort of open that back up to a larger audience and say this is what we're about this is what we're doing come on board it's going to be fun Yeah, and so going back to a comment that you made before, I mean, this show really hangs on the characters, and it's a really fantastic Mm -hmm. way to sort of, like, backdoor in character development, where, again, with more serialized storytelling, you have to kind of build out new characters through these centric plot points, right? Of, like, how does this character react to this? And how does that inform what we know about them? The, the advantage of episodic storytelling is that Star Trek Strange New Worlds has, up, up to this point, six very different adventures. Yeah. And pretty much, like, each and every episode has focused on a different crew member and given them that spotlight to have them deal with that in their own way. It didn't necessarily feel shoehorned in to be like, oh, uh, yeah, we don't really know how Dr. Mbega would feel about the Gorn because, like, he doesn't realistically care that much about the Gorn. Now instead they're saying let's give him let's a storyline that is more yeah. associated with his character so we can then know him therein where to a point that I know you made in our post show recast patron discord mm-hmm. which I wholeheartedly co-sign six episodes into Strange New Worlds we already know 10 times more about the bridge crew than we do four seasons into Star Trek Discovery. And not just the bridge crew but a lot of the support crew. I mean we know the chief of engineering, we know mm-hmm. everyone down in the medical bay, the doctor and nurse chapel. I mean, we know random Ensign Officer uh, Kirk's brother. Yep, Sam Kirk. Sam Kirk is on the ship and on the show as a, I believe he's a uh, geologist. Yeah, I think he's some sort of like a science officer. Junior science officer. I believe he's into geology, if I was reading correctly. Um, Oh, what a nerd. 
I know, right? Nerd alert, nerd alert. Apparently they did not get along well, and the show is maybe going to explore that, but who knows? Well, um, yeah, but- uh, there's already news that, you know, James T. Kirk himself is going to appear in season two. So this is That's a exactly. fun little continuing of the chain, right? That like, okay, Spock is appearing in season two of Discovery. Now it's like, yeah. don't worry, everybody. Kirk's coming in Kirk's season coming two back, here. Yeah. So l- let me ask about that, actually, while we're still in the spoiler-free mm-hmm. section, because there obviously is a lot of crossover with TOS. We mentioned Pike before Spock is obviously a big one. Now, obviously, this is a younger version of Spock, pre-Kirk, but still Spock. We have a younger version. We have Cadet Uhura. You mentioned someone like uh, Sam Kirk, who, but when we saw him in TOS, like he had settled down in a civilian colony, he was retired. Even someone like Nurse Chapel uh, played like a fairly, you know, meaty role, I would say, in TOS. But I think in many ways, especially with her character, there was an effort to like rewrite and recreate things. Uh, I know I'm like leading the jury a bit here, Brendan, because I know that we are star wars fans as well and there certainly has been debate about like remaking things or like reconstituting canon by bringing in certain events i mean are you i don't know perturbed at all by what they're attempting to do here with remaking and remodeling characters considering the canon that already exists see i'm not and this is something i've had to learn to accept as a star wars fan is that you know it's not up to me it's not my show the 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 show is going to do what the show is going to do, and the creators are going to do what the creators are going to do. And it's not my right to be like, you're ruining my Star Trek, or you're ruining my Star Wars. Like, it's not mine, it's theirs. And that's, as it, I've always been sort of a casual Star Trek fan, as I've said on this podcast before. So I don't hold up the original series or the original movies on any sort of pedestal, except like, Wrath of Khan, which, you know, I mean, is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. Mm. But, you know, I'm not going to, like, be like, you can't play in this universe and mess up any of the canon from the original story, series, or the movies, or Picard, or any, or, you know, Next Generation, or anything like that. Like, no, just just say it's a different universe and play in the universe you want to play in, and it's fun. Or whatever you want to do, you know, and that is sort of how I feel maybe they are going to end. I mean, one of the, one of the opening lines of this show is to Pike. And that's that nobody's destiny is actually written. Like you may think you're going to die just because you had a vision, but that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Mm. That's a possibility. That's a destiny, but that's not the destiny. And so, therefore, that sort of, to me, opens up this show to a number of possibilities. This show doesn't have to end with Christopher Pike in a sci-fi space wheelchair as a vegetable. It doesn't have to do that. It could show us visions of that. But I'm okay if, if that's not where we end up. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the Better Call Saul thing, right? Of right, like, exactly. Even, even if they do show it and... I do feel like they handcuff themselves a little bit by giving a timetable as well. Right. Uh, they're like, oh, it's we'll so-and-so months until it happens. Like, they can really take their time with it, especially if they really like the show and want it to go on for mm-hmm. four or five seasons. But at the same time, I completely agree. I think especially in this day and age, I think we can't necessarily keep, like, properties from the 60s and 70s in amber for exactly. many reasons. Uh, first, exactly. because... 
I think that the politics of today do not necessarily reflect that, uh, which I think goes back to the whole nurse chapel of it all. And I think also just because like that creatively stymies a lot of people, uh, you know, there, there's an entire literal galaxy to explore. And now that we have this advanced technology in our own day and age, like they want to tell that story. They want to play in that sandbox. Yes. There might be a little bit of, of bleed over, but I think I can personally swallow it and be able to move on as long as it's good storytelling. And in my opinion, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it's not only great storytelling, Brendan Fitzpatrick, in my opinion, and I've said this before about lower decks, but it has now been knocked off the top of the King of the Hill. Uh, this is to me so far, the greatest first season of any Star Trek series. Um, as a first season, I would probably definitely agree. I mean, there yeah, are definitely that's the thing. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a lower bar because first seasons are tend to be rougher. I would say that I still have, and maybe this is just because I was in college and watching it with a bunch of friends, I still have very fond memories of the first season of Enterprise mm. and how fun that was to sit with a group of people and we had no idea what was going to happen on this show week to week because it was a brand new, it was a brand new show with a brand new continuity and a brand new cast, and we had no idea what they were going to do week to week because there was no napping out of this show because we hadn't played in this timeline before, and that's sort of how I feel about this as well. It's doing a similar thing where we have a vague structure of when this takes place, but really they can kind of go anywhere and do anything. And I'll be okay with it. And yeah. so far, I think this is definitely, you know, up there for me. I mean, there are definitely seasons of Next Generation that I would put against it, but not the first season of Next Generation. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> no, uh, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're not getting any sort of like naked now stuff going on in the second episode of Strange New Worlds. So hopefully to you looky lose out there who are just like checking out an overall flavor as to what uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is. It's a good flavor, in my opinion. You can certainly start in there. I would also say, like, you honestly don't really need to know anything about Star Trek. That's another question yeah. I think we get is, like, yeah. should we start on Strange New Worlds? There is a previously on that stalks, that talks about some stuff that happened in Star Trek Discovery Season 2, but they mm -hmm. make an effort in that first episode to, like, really tell you what the situation is. So whether you've seen Star Trek Discovery or not, or whether you've seen Star Trek in general or not, to your point, Fitzy, I think this is a really great starting point for anyone who is looking to introduce Star Trek to any non-Trekkies in their life at any point. Absolutely. I, I had a friend I was talking with over the weekend, actually, where that was my exact recommendation because he the only thing he's watched since Next Generation is Star Trek Picard. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You don't need to have watched Discovery. You don't need to have watched all this other stuff. Like, just jump right in. And I think you'll have a really good time with it. Um, and you know, I mean, that was my recommendation, and hopefully he does it. But that's what I would say in general is, yeah, it's it's there. And that's why also I think it would work really well on regular CBS, like we were saying, because it's a really good jumping off point for any new fans. All right. So that being said, we are hopefully going to leave behind the spoiler-free part of the podcast as we jump to warp here and give our general thoughts about the first six episodes of Star Trek Strange New World. So again, if you haven't checked them out, Please do. They're on Paramount Plus so far at the time of recording this. Six episodes have aired out of the original 10. Uh, they are ranging from about like 50 minutes to an hour with very limited commercial breaks. So again, they will fly by and they are not too long, but very much recommended, uh, especially because again, all these plots are contained within the episodes. You don't need to worry about continuity. 
They do, for some reason, put previously ons in there. I don't know if that's just, like, force of habit or if they uh, feel like we might have forgotten, but they do put previously ons in there in case you happen to take weeks and weeks between episodes. But two, three, four thumbs up from all my alien arms at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, could not recommend this series more to either Trekkies or non-Trekkies alike. Two to beam up. Exactly. So that being said, we are about to beam an advertisement into your ears. And on the other side of this, we're going to get into all the spoilerific details about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Fitzy, hopefully uh, we are now on a clear and private channel. Uh, Captain's <laughs> eyes only. We have gone... Everyone who does not want to be spoiled about the first six episodes of Star Trek Strange New Worlds out of here because I am so excited to talk about this. As we talked about in the first part of this podcast, we just get to know these characters so much mm -hmm. filter through the A, B, and C storylines over the course of these six episodes. It astounds me. It excites me. It moves me in a certain way. It makes me laugh. There are so many fun moments here and again i don't want to disparage these other shows but it it feels like for the first time in a while besides something like lower decks which is that right comedy i'm like i'm having fun i'm having yeah. fun on, the, on a star trek show maybe the other ones are sort of like the uno equivalent where fun goes to die here's the thing no other show is going to give you enterprise bingo mm -hmm. let's just say that like let's let's just say it this is the enterprise bingo of tv shows i mean you're gonna you're gonna see a bunch of things that you recognize and some characters that you recognize, and some new characters, and then you're going to try to, like, put your peg on a letter and a number per episode and try to get bingo by the end to see if you caught all the fun and the references. And sometimes you'll win, and it'll be great. And, I mean, so far, every episode is going to win for me. 
Yeah, I would say that some work better than others, which we can certainly talk about. Actually, let me, I'll ask you right off the top here, because I do think we're going to distill our discussion between the characters from the main cast. But of the first six episodes, do you have a favorite? Um, I think it is probably episode five, Spock and Luck. Yeah, I think that's a popular choice. That's mine as well. I know a lot of people were saying that week that that was like one of the best Star Trek episodes that they have seen in a long, long time. So it's a it's a popular mm. consensus. It was a lot of fun. I really like wasn't sure where it was going, and then when they did the attempted like mind meld therapy, and it wound up with their consciousnesses being swapped, I was like in awe and like, oh. This is definitely something that would have happened on the original Star Trek or on Next Generation. Like, this is a Next Generation episode, and this is fantastic, and I loved it, and it was great. And, like, I I love how it played out getting to know Spock better, mm-hmm. as well as um, his fiancée. The Pring, yeah, I wanted to say to Paul, and it's to Pring. To Paul is Enterprise. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, um, to Pring, and just, like, the subtle way that it dealt with, like, the two of them being able to understand what he... You don't... Like, there's the old adage, you don't truly understand a person until you, like, you know, put on their shoes and walk around on with them for a little while. And that's what this episode did. And I thought it was really sweet and really sentimental. Um, You know, and that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I could not agree more. First, I mean... This is not a surprise to say I do enjoy the lighter fare that occurs mm-hmm. even on something like Star Trek. The the stupier, goofier moments. Like one of my low-key favorite TNG episodes is Q Who, which is where Q loses his continuum powers and like learns how to become human. Uh, I think that's the episode with the infamous Picard facepalm meme. And like I I really enjoy that sometimes because you, you can tell like the writers are kind of letting loose and having fun yeah. as well. And that really reflects... But I would also say, like, what's really great about Spock Amok is that while obviously, like, the titular Vulcan is the focus of it, it's actually a really good episode for nearly everyone in Mm -hmm. the crew. Everybody gets a moment. Everybody gets to have some fun. And that's the cool part. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also the fun thing as well is that obviously, like, they are space dock, right? They're doing a little bit of shore leave. So it's fun to watch. Uh, It's a really good chapel episode as well. Uh, Artegas and Mbenga get, like, some fun side content, even if they're not the central focus. Number one and La'an. It's really interesting because we'll talk about this in a little bit. Like, the number one La'an relationship did not get as much focus, I feel like, until that episode when it's like, okay, now I understand why these two gravitate to each other because they're both kind of, like, turds in the punch bowl in a manner of speaking. Uh, It's a great Captain Pike episode where, like, he lets Spock drive and then comes in with the closer at the end of it. It really was Star Trek firing on all cylinders. And while the premise might be one of the goofiest ones I have seen of Let's Do Freaky Friday but repress the the Fs with Vs for Vulcans. I still think <laughs> it was done really well, like you said, really emotionally well. I thought that uh, both Ethan Peck and Gia Sundu did really great jobs as actors of like personifying each other's qualities as well. And coupled with that on top of like, let's give some moments to each of these characters so this doesn't become the entire focus of the episode, I think was just icing on the, the cellular peptide cake. Yeah, and it's an incredibly gorgeous episode, too, because, I mean, you have the garden park where they go down on the planet for shore leave, and everybody's walking around, and there's the rolling river, and the beautiful flowers, and the plants, and the trees, and the stone bridges, and then you end the episode on this beautiful visual of 
number one and La'an on top of the Enterprise trying to sign the oldest panel on the outside of the Enterprise while the ship that Spock and Dupring were uh, negotiating with the alien species flies over their heads as they're like on top of the Enterprise attempting to sign the oldest panel on the deck of the Enterprise. And it's one of the most gorgeous mm-hmm. shots from modern Trek that I can think of. And it's just such a beautiful episode visually. Like I really, really loved it. I completely agree. And that's the other thing as well that I would say that maybe we should have brought up in the spoiler free podcast, but it's still the podcast nonetheless, is I think the visual language for this show is awesome. I think they really make an effort to say, okay, we're going to be going to a different planet to a different place pretty much every episode. So like, let's change the language behind it. You go from like sort of the hyper modern stuff from Kylie 279 in the first episode to, you know, this most recent episode where we go to Mahalis, which is the mansion where they filmed Billy Madison. Uh, but they that what that was? Yes, if you, like that, if you recognize the pool, that's where it really unlocked for me, is I remember the, you know, the clown singing about uh, that he thought he was dead. He just broke his head. Uh, Too and... damn hot for a uh, chosen one to be just walking around. Exactly. <laughs> Stop looking at me, Spock. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's really fun to just see, like, all of these exterior environments as well in all these different planets. Again, that's the excitement of Star Trek is that there's a mm. little galaxy of possibilities. Even something like Episode 4, which was, I would essentially call it a, a bottle episode, right? Because they were on the ship the entire time. Still felt exciting in that way. So I'm so excited, again, for more opportunities to, like, explore different planets as the opening you know edict kind of says to explore strange new worlds seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before and i feel like we have gone to so many different locations that maybe happy madison productions has been to before but certainly not star trek (laughs) and I, i really love that subtle update to the opening prologue from uh captain christopher pike where it's Bold would go where no one has gone before rather than where yeah. no man has gone before. I, I like at, I, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's wonderful. I love that they did that. It's a, it's a beautiful update. Like it's yay inclusion. It's great. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about Captain Christopher Pike here, because again, one of the holdovers from Star Trek Discovery season two, but he is hunkering down and I'll admit, you know, I was, I had my expectations tempered for this coming in. But I'll be completely candid here. One of the reasons why I absolutely adore Strange New Worlds is, holy crap, Christopher Pike. He's so, he's so freaking good, man. Like your space dad, basically. He's like your space dad who's trying to be a good leader and also teach you a lesson along the way, but also kind of let you come to your own realization about what that lesson is. And then he also just takes care of his crew. Like, I mean, whether it's cooking dinner for them in his quarters and having like a big family style feast for all of the bridge crew, or just like taking the time to make sure everyone is like mentally well after a stressful situation, like asking people, are you sure you're okay? Like, how are you? Like actually like getting to know the characters through Pike because he's also trying to get to know them because he hasn't worked with a lot of these people before. And so we are getting to know them because he's also getting to know them. And that's something I really love is that the show is putting in the work for that. Not only that, 
Anson Mount is just so oh, damn charismatic. Like, he really is. He really like, is. listen, with, with no offense to William Shatner, from the TOS that I've watched, I, I haven't really understood it with mm-hmm. Kirk. I get it with Pike. Like, I yeah. absolutely understand. Because the man, like you said, he is courteous, but, like, he is so damn smooth that as soon as I saw him back mm-hmm. on my screen, like, within the first episode, I fell in love with him all over again. Yeah, Joanna Robinson at The Ringer, um, whenever his name comes up, calls him Handsome Mount. And I, I 100% agree. That's a great nickname for him. I mean, he is completely charismatic and charming and a really good leader. And then that's not to take away from the fact that they also take the time to show his fear and his doubts, which make him completely endearing. Like, they show his humanity. He's not perfect. He, he actually fails on a couple, in a couple of these episodes. And makes some really big oopsies um, because he thinks he's doing the right thing. And then it turns out the right thing is not actually um, <laughs> the right thing. And he has to like, he's learning along with the crew. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that's a really fantastic point. And I actually want to start with that on something that gets brought in in the very first episode, which comes from Star Trek Discovery, right? Pike knows his future, even if you said it might be you know, uh, indeterminate. He at least knows in some version he's going to be sitting in that chair. And I know that it's certainly the focus of that first episode, right? Is like, how do you keep going with that? We've seen bits and pieces of it, whether it is him talking about how he has like meticulously studied all of the cadets who he's going to end up saving, which I'll be really intrigued if that becomes a plot point later on. Or even something like in the fourth episode when they're facing down against the Gorn inside of this, you know, big black hole, And he ends up sending them through like this incredibly risky maneuver into the storm of a black hole to essentially pull up a card mover, essentially, Mm -hmm. and create a mirage on themselves. And they keep saying, like, what are you doing, sir? And all he says is, she'll hold. But it's got to be so complicated, right? Because on the one hand, he knows that he is guaranteed to live. On the other hand, he doesn't know the fate of everybody else, right? This could be a situation. This could be a con situation where, like, the ship gets completely wrecked and, like, he ends up floating through space and gets picked up by a spaceship. And that's what happens. And he has to live with the entire guilt of all these crew members on his hands. So, I mean, it's always an interesting idea. You and I are both Lost fans. This was the entire point of Charlie's season three arc in Lost is, like, when you know your expiration date is coming, how does that affect the way that you view things? And I think while not completely doting on it in each and every episode, I think peppering this throughout really complicating Pike's character has been such a fantastic touch, including in that first episode where, again, like you said, he's trying to sort of get his own groove back. He's been out growing a beard in freaking Montana. Yeah, uh, he tried to run away from his destiny all the way to Montana and just like live a lonely existence with a beard and a horse and until, you know, destiny called him back to the stars. So, yeah. Exactly. And so it it does take the encouragement of someone like Spock, who he does sort of let in on this secret to then say, okay, you know, it doesn't matter what you do later on. It's what you do right now. And so I just really admire what they do with the character. I love the fact that, like you said, he does lose. I mean, the most recent episode that we watched was a failure for him. Big failure. Uh, yeah, he ends up essentially unintentionally leading to the sacrifice of an innocent child uh, because of what he is able to do. And so it's so compelling. Like, with, I'm trying not to sound too hyperbolic, but like, I find very little Brendan reason to not put him right now close to, if not at the top of my Star Trek captains personally. 
it's nice to have a captain who is this flawed. And I think that's one of the things that initially drew us to um, Sidney Martin Green's, uh, you know, commander in Discovery as well, uh, Michael Burnham, is that Michael Burnham is such a flawed protagonist. She makes mistakes and she does a lot of things the wrong way. And, but doesn't have the same charisma and care for her crew that I think Anson Mount's Pike does in this. She wants to. She she has ambitions to be the type of Captain Pike is, but Pike also is has a lot more experience doing it. Yeah. And he can lean on some of that in times of doubt where Burnham is still very young in her career learning what the right and wrong things are. Um, and that's why it makes it so much harder when Pike does mess up like he did in this past six episode, because he feels like he should know better, but he has such a trust and faith in humanity that it clouded his vision to a degree as to what was really going on in that situation and led to, led to the unfortunate events in the ending. Plus the hair. I mean, oh, can we hair. talk hair about the hair? Yeah. I mean, n- no wonder, like, yes, yes, there are gravity settings within any sort of uh, Federation starship, but, like, only to a certain extent, because there is no scientific reason how that is able to hold up the way that it does. We should we should shout out Bruce Greenwood's Captain Christopher Pike in the J.J. Abrams movies, because mm-hmm. he also has an incredible head of hair on his Christopher Pike, but it's like he took Bruce Greenwood's hair and just puffed it up. To make it like just puffier on the top, and it looks incredible. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know, and this might be an optical illusion, Brendan. I feel like it's getting bigger every episode, personally. It quite possibly is. Maybe that's like reverse gravity. Maybe there's a maybe there's a reverse gravity leak on the deck or something. Yeah, I've seen a lot of fun memes about you know extending his hair cartoonishly to the point of like he looks like Johnny Bravo, he looks like Marge Simpson. There's one where they put the Paramount Plus logo over his head, which has the swoop of a mountain. So that's wonderful. I I absolutely love it, and yeah, very much one of the things that I constantly look for each and every episode is like Pike's hair watch, where Mm. it just has this almost inhumane quaff. To him. Maybe he replicates his hairstyle. Like it's just authentically inauthentically created for him. What is it? What kind of episode is it going to take for a hair to go out of place? Is what I'm worried about. My hot take is maybe it won't be until that infamous incident with the Delta waves. Oh, um, no. and, like that's the first time that it'll finally be out of place. It's like it's coming. I knew it. My perfect guise <laughs> My hair. of hair is finally falling apart one strand at a time. Oh no! Oh, it's awful. Awful. Not enough. Uh, not enough. Not enough hairspray on the on the Enterprise for that one. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I guess we are now past the time where I don't know aerosols might be bad for the environment. So oh, it's right. like, oh great, I can. Maybe nobody wants to go to Pike's Pike's quarters because it's just like it's clouded with so many sprays of gels and mousses <laughs> in the air that it just stinks like a barber shop. I have to tell you, Pike, that smells like pure gasoline, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, li- I'd like another, please. This is disgusting. Really burns more- the nostrils. <laughs> um, all right, so let's move on here. Speaking of hair, again, you mentioned this, that Ethan Peck Spock, for the vast majority of it, he was kind of hipster Spock, right, in Star Trek Discovery Season 2. The beer, the sort of Beatles cut, he ends up modding onto the typical Leonard Nimoy look and. A lot of people hold Spock dear, myself included, from Leonard Nimoy's inimitable performance. 
But I got to say, I'm warming up to Ethan Peck as well. It, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with Angela about this as we were watching, and she was like, you know, it must be so easy to play someone like Spock. And I'm like, as an actor, it's probably the exact opposite. Because think about it. If your job is to emote to the camera, right? Even like the smallest gesture, especially for film and television, to essentially not be able to do that or do it so small, it's almost imperceptible, takes so much discipline and so much focus. Like it, it must require a vast amount of energy to do. Absolutely. Because I mean, just talking to you, like I've probably raised my eyebrows unintentionally five times, at least in the last five minutes. And it's like, yeah, you just, as a, as an actor, that it's very hard to play subtlety, especially for a TV show where you're dealing with a lot of close-up and you're dealing with a lot of long moments where the camera is going to be focused on you and only one part of your face can move if anything else moves they lost the take it's like you can have a slight smirk but if it's the wrong smirk you're done like it's you got to start over and it's like you have to it's it's a lot more subtle and that makes it a lot harder and i think he's really really doing a really good job i i really like Ethan Peck's performance so far i agree and i think there's a couple of highlights that i think really made me lock into him because i would say even in star trek discovery season two i feel like they used him so sparingly that I didn't have one opinion one way or the other. The first was obviously Spock Amok, which as we talked about before, I loved Ethan Peck's small change in mannerisms from when he was quote unquote playing to Pring of whether it was just like the way he used his hands, like the slight body language that he used. Again, it was small, but great. Even just like a little bit of a lilt in his voice. But in episode four in Memento Mori, when uh, he is doing the mind meld with La'an, uh, and what I really liked was obviously when it reflects back onto him and she ends up going into his memories and seeing a little bit of like the Michael Burnham of it all. I think seeing like the shock uh, and before the, the veneer comes up again of like, let us never speak about this again, was a really cool effect to see from Ethan Peck, who up until that point had been doing some interesting things from the past three episodes, but like, Nothing incredibly great, in my opinion. This was one of those first times to me where I'm like, all right, I see you, Ethan Peck. You're doing something, and I'm appreciating it. Yeah, and especially in, um, you know, Spock Amok with just the way that he has to change his voice when Christopher Pike comes into the room and they immediately know that they have to tell him what's happened because Pike needs Spock to go negotiate with the, um, you know, the the rebel aliens who mm-hmm. want to defect from the Federation and don't want to, you know, further discussions with anybody else but Spock. And then, you know, Tapring also has an issue going on with her diplomatic mission. So they have to, like, divulge to Pike who each other is. And she goes, Captain, and then or Spock as Tapring goes, Captain, and then says Christopher instead because he because he has to adjust to what Tapring would say in his body rather than rather than um, what Spock would say in his own body. So she, mm. she has to call him Christopher because that's how she knows him. And so it's like this real subtle change in his voice to do that. And I really liked that. It was really good. I, I just wanted to say that I really, really loved Children of the Comet and everything that happened with Spike 
I'm not Spike Stock. Oh, Spike are you shipping like, them? I am. I am shipping them down on that planet. Um, with the uh energy field, and the uh creatures made of light. Um, because it was really interesting to see the two of them be stranded and have to work together to figure out, you know, how to get off the planet and how to get a message to the Enterprise so that they could get off the uh, colony. And then, like, once they were able to realize that the beams of energy were actually trying to help them rather than hurt them, like, there's really good, like, back-and-forth negotiation banter between the two of them in that episode trying to figure figure out what's happening and how to get out of it. Yeah, I really enjoy the Pike-Spock dynamic, which is tough, right? Like, no one's going to replace Spock and Kirk. They were the original right. sci-fi bromance, but I do think that, like, maybe Spock has a really good uh, trend in just being able to, like, make quick friends with the captains that he's with, and that I do agree, and I think Pike relied on him so early on. I believe he's the first person that he divulged the entire, you know, secret of the prophecy to him in the very first episode. And Spock served as a sort of shoulder to cry on in a manner of speaking. So, yeah, I really like it. I mean, it's obviously clear that though Spock is quite literally not the number one, he is certainly someone that uh, Pike will rely on. Like Spock gets sent out on a number of missions without Pike, which feels very anti-TOS. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying this relationship and I'm hoping we get to explore more Spike if you will, over the course of the next four episodes. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, so let's move on. So much like TOS, right, they're the main two that get, like, the, for the top billing. And then mm. we go through the rest of this cast uh, in credit order, alphabetically by last name. But it's interesting we put Spock next to this next character in Nurse Chapel, uh, who is played by Jess Bush. This is a much younger, I would say, I'm going to say wilder, I would say, like, more liberal version of Nurse Chapel. Uh, she's a little bit more of a wisecracker, a little bit more snarky, as we see over the course of Spock Amuck, which is like uh, probably her her most focus. She's got an in ep an episode, right? Someone who is a bit footloose, fran fancy free, and like very serious about her work, but like when it comes to the rest of life, is rather celebratory. Which again, she was one of those characters that the creators were very adamant saying that uh, I believe co showrunner Henry Alonzo Myers. Cell felt that the Major Barrett appearance came from a very different conception of women and of marriage and what people would do in their jobs. And so I think she was one of the characters they really focused on saying, okay, let's make this more in like the lens of what a quote unquote modern day woman is, even though both of these are set in the future. She absolutely holds her own and has a really good arc through the first six episodes where you are just starting to get to know her and then she becomes more and more outgoing and you figure out her banter with each of the crew members and how well she knows them and then you wind up with this really interesting dynamic with her and the helmsman ortega in one of the in one of the last episodes and it's really fantastic the two of them together when they're down on the planet gossiping about everybody else and scott's relationship with Supreme and everybody else on the enterprise and the two of them like have this really interesting like fortnights going on like they're sharing drinks and they're having dinner together and they're gossiping but then they're also like getting to know each other in this really interesting way that i'm wondering if it's actually gonna like go anywhere romantically or if it's just a really cool um really cool friendship that's gutting there 
Yeah, so that's the interesting part as well, though, yeah. because again, if we're going back to TOS canon, mm. Chapel had a fling with Spock. And I ah. personally, because because you're not the only person to have this read, is that people looked at that last scene between Ortegas and Chapel and sort of talk about like the oh, you know, the the lingering sort of looks that that Chapel gives was that to Ortegas. I personally give the read that it was to Spock that like they are now hinting towards a little bit of like the flames being kindled there of like she did tease him in his their first scene together um, early on in the early on in the show. She gave him like a little tease when he came to the med bay, but. It's, I don't know that it was, like, outright flirting, but, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I would imagine this would be a much longer game because, again, they sort mm. of do have an end goal eventually in TOS that they want to get to it, so they're like, eh, it, it's, it's fine. But I really love Chapel's relationships in general, right? Whether it's, like, her and Mbenga, whether it's her and Ortega. It's like, I think she's just a really great side character to have there. Like, super reliable, but also someone who I think Jess Bush is fantastic dry wit is, like great for a quick line but then she has her own sort of arc like you said in spock amok where it's this idea of her like almost being forced to care and having to invest in a relationship when she is very much a relationship phobe i think right. again depending on how you view that last scene that might have opened up an access point for her of like maybe i do want commitment in a manner mm -hmm. of speaking but i gotta say like she has been one of the highlights for me and I'm, and I'm not just talking about like her stark white blonde hair that she has yeah, and the, the and the outfits they're putting her in, like they're not being exploitative in the way they're dressing her, but they're making her like look really good, like yeah, in the way they're dressing her without making it like the nineteen sixties version of making a character like Nurse Chapel look good. You know what I mean? Well, we should remember, yeah, she is a civilian nurse. She is yeah. not an official member of Starfleet, so she does not have a uniform. And yeah, we are a long way from Star Trek into darkness. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. like, she has sort of this white outfit, which, again, hints the sort of medical affiliation, but does not mm -hmm. go with the officiality of wearing the Star Trek uniform, uh, the Federation uniform. So I agree. I, I really appreciate it as well. Let's move on here and talk about Christina Chong playing a new character, the first new character we are talking about. A new character, though, with an old affiliation. This is Laan Noonien Singh, who is one of the new people brought aboard the Enterprise in the first episode, eventually becomes the Chief of Security. She is, as is usual with Chiefs of Security, kind of no-nonsense, uh, much like your Wharfs, like your Odos, like your Bellianas, uh, but she is someone with quite the tragic past, considering that she is a descendant of Khan Noonien Singh, but also has a bit of an axe to grind with the Gorn, mildly speaking. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episode where we get to know her as a character in her relationship with the Gorn and get those flashbacks with her. Um, really helped develop her character, I thought, in a really interesting way and made me invested in her um, in a way that I wasn't in the first couple episodes where I, I really felt like, oh, okay, this is who this character is. Now I'm rooting for her to, like, be able to cope with her trauma and become a valuable member of the crew because I think she's a badass. And I just want to see her, like, really kick somebody's ass. And I'm very excited for that. I think she's, I think she's a really great chief of security, and I really like her interactions with both Pike and with number one, especially they mm -hmm. have like such a weird relationship slash friendship where they knew each other before and then come back together to both be crew members on the enterprise. 
and then they have, you know, they they realize that they have so much more in common than they probably ever thought when they realize that everybody else on the crew thinks that they're both sticks in the mud and not any fun and basically deserve to be on the Enterprise together during Spock Amok and everybody else gets to do shore leave and have fun, go play with your you know, why don't you go read a book in your corners because that's probably what you like to do on your time off. And instead, they're like, wait, can we figure out how to have fun? Let's have some fun together. And then they they go off and they have this amazing episode in Stock and Mark where they get to let their personalities shine to a point that the first four episodes didn't really let them as much. So I that's one reason why I really love it as well is just everything with uh, Loren and number one in Spock and Buck is fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed La'an in episode one, mm-hmm. specifically when they, number one wasn't there, right? And the away team was Pike, Spock, and her. I thought she had a really fun moment where she like does, she basically takes down this entire security team mm-hmm. on her own and is like, she's great. Vulcan neck pinch for them right now, Spock, like essentially yeah. leading them along mm-hmm. the way. I do feel like she kind of took a back seat for the next couple of episodes, especially with number one stepping aboard and number one's going to have her own centric episode. But yeah. I totally agree that Memento Mori is obviously a highlight for her where up to that point, again, like she was seen as incredibly serious and it was a really interesting moment for her in many ways. First, when it's discovered like, oh, here are the Gorn. And by the way, the Gorn ships look freaking weird and awesome it's like it was built in like a 3d printer that was kind of on the fritz like they're all asymmetrical (laughs) and sticking out but like to actually see panic on her face for the first time Mm. i thought was incredibly intriguing right where she's running around kind of being cassandra uh to go back to the greek myth of it all being like no you don't understand they're gonna do this you don't know what they're capable of she has that entire problem that we often see on star trek of like seeing the ghost of the dead person we finally find out the tragic tale of her being the last of her colony that was like terrorized and brutalized by the gourd and so obviously she has a lot of revenge that she wants to exact there but also has a lot of emotional attachment as well mm-hmm. that clouds a usual judgment that is like a steel wall uh she usually proceeds like no holds barred no strings attached let me make the tactical decision at every turn and what i really like is after we got to explore those vulnerabilities we got to see a little bit more of a humorous side of her. Like you said, uh, we have the Enterprise Bingo thing, but there's even like a, a scene from, I think it might be Spock and Muck, where T'Pring comes in, uh, or maybe it's like those uh, those diplomats that you were talking about, and she's, she's like, oh, Captain, I have to go do the security thing. Oh, yeah, that's with the diplomats. Yeah, with the yeah. diplomats during the Spock thing. Yeah, yeah. Or even like in episode six when we have the runner of her sort of uh of, of or her shadowing her right and there's mm. like the seven rules of security like yeah. there's so many fun bits and pieces with that and i now i feel like after that episode they kind of figured out how to use her soberness reflexively yeah. to make her a nice straight person to a lot of this the fun stuff going on but also like give her moments where she's not just a, a brick wall that is used to fight things and nothing else Right, and I think that's what this show is doing so well, and what's important on a show like this is that, especially for modern TV, you can have these shells of a trope of a character, but we want dimensionality underneath that. You can have your tropey security officer, but we want to know who the person underneath that is. You can have your tropey person who's always the pilot and in at the helm, but we want to know why that person likes to be a pilot. 
why that person chose to be a pilot in the first place. We want dimensionality to our characters rather than two dimensions. We want third or fourth dimensions. And I think this show, especially with uh, Lanier, is doing a really good job with that so far. Yeah, so speaking of that, let's talk about Ahura here, played by Celia Rose Gooding, because this is very interesting, right? We know Ahura uh, just sitting Mm -hmm. there, you know, on the comms at all times on the Enterprise. And so now we get to see young Ahura, in a manner of speaking, right? And this is a an un- insecure, awkward cadet, and it is so much fun. I think it was very smart, and I love the idea that the second episode it focuses entirely on her, right? Where she admits, basically, I only really joined it to escape from the fact that both my parents died on my home planet, and I just looked for a reason out. Uh, a little bit of, a, of like an interesting analogy to what sometimes happens in the military where, you know, people end up getting recruited because they want to escape some parts of their lives. And then she sort of like falls in love with it when she ends up undergoing this entire mystery around this like living comet that they find themselves mm-hmm. on. I thought that was a really great use of Celia Rose Gooding is uh, an actress and a singer. Uh, she is the daughter of Tony Award winner LaShawns as well. So like, she showed off those pipes. I always, uh, not pikes, I really enjoyed that. But it also served as a great opportunity after that to now filter some things through Uhura, right? Like yeah. in Ghost of Illyria, she's going to have that storyline with Hemmer, where now she has to, you know, fix things while he guides her. We mm-hmm. talked about this past week's storyline with her and uh, and La'an, where now she is instructed to, like, do the translation. So I, I feel like it, I say this about every character, but I do think Uhura might be a standout to me. She might be my favorite character on the show. Um wow. it's, it's hard to say for sure, but um because I, I, I'm gonna say that about everybody. Like I, I, I really enjoyed this cast overall. Like I, you know, asking five minutes ago and I might have said Ortegas and then I might have said Lon and who knows. But I really, really enjoyed the second episode with being focused around Ahura and getting to know her. And because she's a character that would be very easy to again, stereotype or keep in a corner of, like, being the, you know, linguistics person who's only there to help us communicate with the alien beings, and then she doesn't get anything else to do. But instead, we're presented with that as her job, but not who she is. Yeah, And I think that's really important, and I really love that for her, that, like, I mean, she gets one of the best moments on the show where she gets pranked into wearing her dress uniform Mm -hmm. to Pike's bridge crew family dinner. And nobody else is dressed in their formals when she walks in and Pike is like, Oh, they told you to wear formals, huh? (laughs) It's like, welcome, welcome to, welcome to the bridge crew. And it's great. It's like a nice little hazing thing. That's not mean, but like allows her to, realize that like this that she's gonna have to like relax a little and have some fun because not everything is gonna be this formal yeah and that's cool as well is that obviously we have these cadet roles or these ensign roles right like harry kim is a great example of the young person on the block they're sort of an audience analog in the first couple seasons because we don't know the crew and neither do they and so we're certainly seeing things through their eyes what i like is while we talk about how much we like captain pike losing i really like uhura winning 
And Absolutely. maybe, you know, she has one of a few times over the past six episodes, but I like the fact all the way going back to when they took a, a shining to young Wesley Crusher mm -hmm. of like, I like the fact that age is just a number in Star Trek sometimes, you know? Yeah, or she she even has a little bit of Tilly going on, but I hate mm -hmm. to give her like I, I don't want to pigeonhole her as being the, you know, command uh, you know, Cadet Tilly analog on this show, but she's got a little bit of that like audience surrogate, fan favorite, bubbly, fun one vibe going that we loved about Tilly. And so, you know, it's she's got a little bit of that, but I think she's a little more complicated as well. Yeah, and I think also because because of her position, like now she also gets to do a lot of other things. Whereas Ensigns, you know, they typically only shadow one position. Like she now gets one on one interactions with a lot of the crews to the point where yeah. like she might have had the most touch points with the ensemble up to this mm. point through six episodes. For sure. And it, it's a great audience analog to get us to know every crew member better. I mean, yeah, you, she spent very, va really valuable time in engineering, letting us get to know our uh, our chief engineer in a way that we probably wouldn't have because nobody else spent time down there the entire season except for shouting orders. So it was very important to get that time. All right, so let's move on to, speaking of getting the time to know someone, I would say up to this point, probably the main cast member we know the least about, which is Melissa Navia as Ortegas, which is the helmsman. Uh, it's very fun. They took the last name from the fact that in the original Star Trek pitch, there was a navigator named Jose Ortegas that ultimately mm. did not make it. So I think it's a fun way to sort of personify that. I mean, Ortega, Ortegas is a really great, I think, supporting character. She has not had anything to do yet, but I feel like that is coming. But I think right at this moment, she's a fun wisecracker, very fun and very sarcastic. I'm waiting for, you know, that emotionality for that other shoe, for that tragic backstory to drop. But at the moment, loving the hair, loving the character. Really great helmsman, really great hair, really mm -hmm. great vibes. I love a pilot. Like, I mean, I played a pilot in our Star Wars uh, RPG that we did with Rich. I love a, like, cocky, wisecracking pilot. And she's filling that trope wonderfully. And I think that you're right. I mean, we have four episodes left. I would not be shocked if episode seven gives us a lot more of Ortegas and her backstory. Because that or at least that's what I want. I hope I hope it's the first one back because I would really like to get to know that character better. Yeah, because it seems like of all of them, to your point about like the hazing of Uhura, she does seem to be like the most settled in to everything, mm. right? Like obviously Starfleet has some formalities to it, and when the going got tough, like she really you know, snapped into gear and, and did her job. But I do yeah. feel like she is the biggest wisecracker of them all in the group. And you always know with these with these comic characters, right? The mm -hmm. tears of a clown, that there <laughs> is going to be something with Ortegas that's happening. So I haven't looked at any synopses for the future episodes, including this upcoming one. But considering that everyone else has had at least some sort of storyline except for her, I got to imagine it's on the way. Definitely. And I, I did really like in the, uh, you know, episode with the black hole and the Gorn, um, she gets some really good moments at the helm as they're trying to evade the Gorn through the star system and through the, towards the black hole and everything where she's kind of freaking out, but also doesn't want to show, you know, Pike or anybody else that she is kind of freaking out because she's, she knows better than to fly the way she's flying, but she also has to do it 
or else they're just going to get blown out of the sky. And she's so she gets a couple of moments there and subtle looks or asides to, you know, to under her breath about the situation that I think are really great and help define her character a little. All right, let's move back to Med Bay here. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Babs Alusin Makun as Mbenga, who is sort of a familiar face to TOS fans. He shows up like sparingly here and there to do things like emergency surgery, even though like Bones is the guy that wears the pants or the dress mm-hmm. uh, uniform, if you will, in that Med Bay. Here he is at the forefront of it, and he comes with that tragic backstory we are perhaps missing at this point from Ortegas. Namely, his daughter is suffering from this incurable disease, so he has tried to fashion his own scientific uh, discovery of keeping her inside a pattern buffer, a la Scotty, uh, during Mm -hmm. his TNG episode, perpetually, just to make sure like she will never grow old and she will therefore never die. I just gotta say at the forefront here, like I want this actor to read me to sleep. Whatever it is, he's fantastic. His, yeah, his his voice is just like so soothing and so calm. No wonder he's a doctor. Mbenga has just has a great bedside manner voice. Yeah, was it Alice in Wonderland that he was reading to his daughter uh, I think it was through the Looking Glass? Or yeah, I think it was through. No, I think it was just like a generic story, like a princess story. I want to say. Okay, I thought I, I thought it was Alice in Wonderland for some reason, but maybe not. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, I really love this, you know, tragic backstory thing for him. I think it gives him a reason that to be on the ship and be, you know, I, I like that he has this subplot of he's on this mission for his own reasons where he's trying to explore the galaxy to find a cure for his daughter. And he comes so close in one episode that like it's almost there it's almost within his reach Mm -hmm. and he still can't get it and it's i'm really i really thought that they were gonna let him have the win in episode six and give him the cure and it didn't happen but they gave him sort of a clue to help get the cure right it's not quite there and i think i wonder if that'll be a big thing for the end of the season or if this will be something that continues to go on and on and on. I don't I don't know. It's hard to sit there and watch a child continuously be sick on a TV show um these days, considering all that's going on in the world. Um so I hope that the incurable disease is cured to a good conclusion sometime soon. I know Star Trek likes to be optimistic, but Fitzy, I I I don't think she's gonna make it personally. I, I think I mean, maybe she does, and maybe one of the reasons why he sort of gets that demotion into TOS is because he's like, I'm going to spend more time with my daughter. Uh, but for some reason, just considering the stopgap solution he's put in place, I- I'm just not seeing it at the moment. Like you said, in episode six, right, they find out about this planet that just has such advanced medical technology that they're, they're technically not allowed to share with any outsiders. There is no disease, yeah. Yeah, but like is able to find some sort of assistance there. I agree with you that like this could be something that gets extended out much like a pattern buffer for a little while, especially given that season two, we already know is a go hit it, but I don't know. Just knowing, especially modern TV storytelling, I don't know if this is a happy ending for Dr. Mbega. I I don't know. I feel like this TV show is leading all, uh, leaving most of the downer note, long-term storytelling to Pike. 
and it's gonna give us more hope for these supporting characters. I I refuse to give up hope, my friend. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hope alive for all of these supporting characters to be okay. I will say one moment that I really loved as well was mm. in uh, the third episode when, you know, power... Or no, I think it's in the fourth episode. Yeah, when uh, power is going down, right? The Gorn attack mm. has sort of, like, taken out all their cooling systems and everything, and number one has a piece of shrapnel in the side. Uh, Mbenga asks Chapel, you know, do you study archaeological medicine, which is just, like, using first aid? I love when right. Star Trek does that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are not in the 21st century. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on here and talk about someone who does get a moment in that episode. Uh, he's seen probably the most sparingly out of this main cast, but if he is, you know it. It is Bruce Horak as Hemmer, who is the chief engineer. So uh, Hemmer is an Anar, which is a special species of, uh, a subspecies, I should say, of Andorians who are albino and also blind. Uh, Horak himself which is really great that they sort of bring the fact that he is differently abled into the character proper. A uh, Horak is blind in one eye and l has limited sight. And the other one has been since birth. And so it's cool that they really were able to essentially create like an entire subspecies. It's almost like a cave fish, right? Like how mm. they're essentially blind that for whatever reason, the Anar were raised that way, but perhaps even because of his blindness, it has made him cocky as all get out. Like this yeah. is our resident Stamets, right? This is the guy that feels like I'm going to do what needs to be done. I know how we can get through things. I know how to move through things methodically. Get out of my way. Yeah, and I really like that. I mean, you, that's sort of what you want in a chief engineer is somebody with the utmost confidence in their abilities because they're the one that is literally keeping the ship together down below. So you you kind of need that cockiness in a chief engineer, and I really like it from Hever here. Yeah, I really like his introduction back in episode two where because he wasn't yes. in the pilot uh yeah. where they're at pike's dinner party essentially and like him and mbenga are joking around right about like oh i can sense what's happening ahead of time mm -hmm. uh and then that actually segues really nicely into again this two-hander bad term because hemmer ends up like breaking his hands uh in the fracas but like everything that was going on down there in engineering where like he essentially has to talk Ohora through a situation that she is in completely over her head on very much reminds me of, you know, uh, Disaster, I believe, is the TNG episode, right? Where it, like, separates everyone into different sectors. Yeah. I know one of them is Jordy and, uh, and Dr. Crusher out in, like, yeah. the shuttle bay, and they have to work together despite the fact that they rarely do to, like, end up surviving the day. In fact, I believe both of those storylines do end with, like, the airlock being opened and them trying mm -hmm. to tie themselves down while everything is flying around them. So that's also a great pairing as well, right? The sort of like uh, young, you know, bubbly rookie and the kind of not grizzled veteran, but at ornery. Least, yeah, exactly. Very ornery, like not really a people person yeah. in a manner of speaking. So it's interesting to your point, like this is a little bit of like a Chief O'Brien situation and that Hemmer has been uh, Chief O'Brien in, in TNG, I should say, not DS9, and that he has just been sort of like down in engineering for a while so we don't we get him in bits and pieces but personally when we do like while his character can certainly be grading purposely so i think they've been using him really effectively and especially in that dynamic with uhura that we saw in yeah. the fourth episode i really like the fact that he he warmed up to her in his own hammer way which was like to offer her a compliment yeah and i mean they got off they got off on the wrong foot to begin with in episode two because she's trying to you know fit in at pike's 
bridge crew dinner party and she makes the quote-unquote mistake of going up to Hammer and asking if he needs help. And he totally takes it the wrong way and is like, why? Because I'm blind? You think I need help making making the dinner? You think I need help with this food? And they're like, oh, sorry. No, I didn't mean to offend. And so he's like instantly not an Ohora fan. And then they're forced into this situation in the fourth episode where they have to work together. And he's like, of all the people to be stuck in engineering with, sure. And then they end up like developing this mutual respect for each other. And it's really great. And she's, that's one of the great things about Ohura as well is she is, as we talked about earlier, going through and learning all of these skills throughout the ship, not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally. Last but not least, certainly, to the point where, again, she sort of gets the the and credit here at the very end is yes. Rebecca Romaine as Una Chin Riley, a.k.a. number one. So, you know, a, a bit was made about Rebecca Romaine playing number one in Star Trek Discovery mm -hmm. season two amounted to only a couple scenes. Uh, yeah. and so so and she did get a short track dedicated to like Spock's first day on the Enterprise yep. where they ended up making a bond. But she has really shined i think on this season particularly in obviously her centric episode children uh ghosts of Illyria. i was mixing that up with children of the comet where this major revelation is made that she is genetically modified she is an illyrian which is incredibly taboo at the time especially everything that happened with khan nunian singh and so it's this really unique idea where there was this disease that was spreading through and like everyone but her had it and so it was a matter of almost like a house-esque mystery of trying to figure out what was going on mm. and she didn't want to come through with it because obviously of the stigmas against it and she she is forced to do so to say to be the one to like single-handedly save the day or at least save the ship uh yep. and so it's a big moment for a character that up to that point like Obviously, had things continued in the Pike direction back during the Cage days, would have become a character, but has been a large mystery, I would say, in Star Trek canon. Yeah, and it's really great to have an actress like Rebecca Romaine who can both play the emotionally emotional subtlety of that character as well as the physicality um, that she needs. And it's it's really interesting because I knew nothing much like the audience about this character going in aside from the actress playing her and that her name was number one. And I like the way that they have sort of spread out the reveals with her character in the way that they have. And the, 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 the slow progressive trust that she's beginning to build among the crew and her, and sort of fixing her reputation. Yeah. That's the thing as well is that obviously like, it's a big moment. I think it's a really fun connection mm. for La'an as well. Right now you begin to see one of the many reasons why it's not just, hey, you found me while I was floating in space, but it's also like we understand each other mm. in a manner of speaking. Obviously, I think she's cooled down a bit from that with the exception of that really fun Enterprise bingo storyline. But yeah, it's it's a big deal and it is a big swing as well. I'm going to imagine it's going to come up uh, when Julian Bashir in Deep Space Nine was revealed to be genetically modified. That was not a one-off storyline that got brought up. Hell, they brought in an entire freaking group of characters uh, again and again that were other genetically modified people. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if definitely at some point in season two, maybe later on in season one, like 
we might get more Illyrians in the picture that she is going to hesitatingly have to deal with. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me, no. And I, I think it would be an interesting way to develop her character to sort of have to face her past again in a different way. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, considering that, again, while she faced in this moment, I think it's something that she very much wants to obscure, especially in a position of power like Starfleet. This is still relatively early on where, you know, uh, we, we have certain people that have been brought in, but, like, by and large, I think they are fairly keeping things at arm's length in terms of what is and does not uh, fly inside of the Federation. And so if she wants to continue to fly, she has really been walking on eggshells, which is maybe another reason why she has a little bit more of like a hardened reputation as sort of like the fun police uh, is because she is, is operating under very high stakes in even more high stakes situations. Brendan, okay. that's, the, that's the rundown of the main cast. Is there anything or anyone else you wanted to talk about before we start to uh, close things up and go to warp again? No, just in general, I'm having a really good time with this cast and this crew. Um, you know, I want to shout out, you know, we talked about Alex Kurtzman. Uh, shout out to Akiva Goldsmith. I mean, he's doing a fantastic job with the show so far. Um, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Do we want to make any predictions of, like, aside, we, we said that we need an Ortegas episode coming up. Yeah. Is there anything else that you, like, want or expect in these last four episodes? Anybody you'd like to see pop up? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I I really liked him in Star Trek Discovery. I would love to see a Harry Mudd appearance again. It would be fantastic, yeah. I was really sad that for whatever reason they couldn't get Rain Wilson back. They yeah. just gave him that one short trek and that was it. And they just said, oh, and he was making androids for the rest of his life. <laughs> I would love to see some sort of appearance because he was such a fop in the first yeah. season of Star Trek Discovery. That's it was right, certainly yeah. a highlight for me. And I feel like that tone fits in really well in this I show especially so that's like really top of mind for me knowing that he has already existed in this time period yeah. that you could very easily just transplant him over uh what what do, what do you think about tribbles uh i'm fine with tribbles so we sort of have already done tribbles in like the three eras where we had it in tos we had technically traveling back in time to that tos era in ds9 we had a short trek about it I'd be fine with it if they told another story okay. with it. Uh, you know, the trouble with Edward, which was the short trek about it, I think brought it to its maximum of like the deadly effects of it that essentially like yeah, slaughtered yeah. an entire space station because it multiplied. I mean, I'll throw another thing out there again. That's a transplant from Discovery. Do you expect we'll see like an Ash Tyler and or Section Thirty One appearance this season? I would say yes if that show didn't seem to be scuttled. But I think yeah. that show is pretty scuttlebutted at this point. Or I'm not a, a chicken. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't believe that show is happening at this point. But if we had gotten a Michelle Yeoh or Ash Tyler cameo on this show, it would have been incredible. But I think Michelle Yeoh is very happy with <laughs> her current station in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, which is a fantastic movie if people haven't seen it. The only other thing I could think of is a um, Jason Isaacs appearance. But so this would would this be this wouldn't be uh, the, but this one because this takes place after season two of Discovery. So it this does would take not place be, after. Yeah, you're right. This so wouldn't be other. Lorca unless this is because one of the bigger mysteries around Discovery, right, was the two Lorcas technically switch places. What happened to our Lorca that went over exactly. to the mirror universe? We never yeah. know. So like. 
Maybe it will happen, but I do think for all intents and purposes, they have moved on from that discovery so stuff. And I'm fine with that. I don't need it. I don't need this show to be connected to any other show apart from how it is with, you know, Discovery right now. I don't I don't need it to I don't need a Jean-Luc Picard to yeah. show up because they travel to the future. Or a, you know, very old Scott Bakula to <laughs> pop up as, you know, although it'd be fun for Sean Archer to pop up, I think we're good. You know? Yeah, the only thing I would imagine, if I'll put in another prediction, is I think Pike has studied the names, faces, and paths of the cadets who he will protect in the mm. months to come. I think he will meet at least one of them in the next few episodes. Ooh, I think that's a good guess. I think that's a good prediction. I like that. Yep. Now, the irony of all ironies would be like, what if one of them served on the Enterprise? Uh, but yeah, I, exactly. I, I think the big thing that's going to happen is like, last scene of season one it's going to be like all right well this kirk is off and instead they got on his brother as a cadet and like in comes i forget it's, what's his name from the vampire diaries paul wesley is ah. uh it's going to be uh, james kirk in season two i can I imagine him like him, him yeah he's going to swagger onto the bridge and like that's how they're going to end season one yeah that'll probably be the last scene of season one i can see that yeah all right, Fitz, this was so much fun. So great to talk with you. Like, I really have been chomping at the bit to talk about Strange New Worlds with somebody, uh, you know, just because unfortunately could not make this. Uh, she's taking a much needed break from podcasting yeah. for the time being. So I'm happy to, like, beam you in as sort of like uh, our own Dr. Mbenga, right? To her bones <laughs> of, like, having the fill-in uh, when yeah. need be. I, I love getting to talk Star Trek with you, really anything with you, but Star Trek especially. I know you said you're a casual fan, but I always love the takes that you bring in. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking me out of space, stasis to do this, Mike. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, before I put you back in the pattern buffer, I know you have something cooking alongside Hemmer when it comes to all the other podcasting that you do. So please give out your social media handle as well as all the other things you have beaming out into the podcast ionosphere. Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Fitzy Brendan on Twitter or at Post Show Recaps for the Post Show Recaps side. I do all the social media tweeting for Post Show Recaps proper. Um, I am the co-host of the Movie Ladder podcast, which I host alongside Zach Brooks, where we do a different movie every week, somehow connected to a movie we watched the week before. Last week, we watched Martin Scorsese's The Aviator, which is one of my favorite movies of the 2000s. It's really fantastic. And this week, uh, we are recording our podcast on The Rocketeer from the early 90s, the Disney superhero movie. I'm actually just finished watching that earlier this afternoon before I have talked with you, Mike. Really excited about talking about that this week with Zach. So you can follow that at Ladder Movie or at uh, The Movie Ladder on all of your podcast platforms of choice. That's about all I got going on. Yeah, so just for the uninitiated, so the concept of movie ladder, right, is that the movie that you watch the next week is it some way connected in some to the way, movie. Yeah. yeah, whether it's an actor, director, like topic. Yeah, theme, uh, you know, director, actor, theme, title connection, or plot connection. You know, I mean, like we had Howard Hughes is in The Aviator, obviously, because it's a biopic about Howard Hughes. And then he's played by Terry O'Quinn in uh, The Rocketeer. So there you go. Oh, I thought it was just going to be as simple as like people who are in the air. Uh, just terms about people that are floating uh, above the ground. A fictionalized version of Howard Hughes is in The Rocketeer, played by uh, Terry O'Quinn. So there you go. Does he have a mustache? 
he does have a mustache and a full head of hair. That's the so thing is that whenever Terry O'Quinn, like he rocks the mustache usually, whatever he, he environment that he might be good. in. Uh, suffice it to say, I have my hands full uh, with warp with warp cores and podcasts here on Poster Recaps. I guess I'll go with like the most pertinent to Star Trek because uh, there's a lot of fun sci-fi stuff going on. Obviously, the other side of the star. Uh, Force Dyad, if you will, is the coverage of Star Wars that I'm helming with DM Philly and Latanya Starks. We are two episodes from the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I know Fitzy is loving myself as well. Episodes are coming out on Wednesday. We put out episodes on Wednesday as well over on our Star Wars feed. Westworld is coming back June 26th. Very different, very heady mystery box type of prestige drama on HBO. Finally returning after a two-year break on June 26th. Myself, Josh Wiggler, and Joe Garfine are doing season recaps leading up to that. We just released our season two recap, which I feel like is maybe the most necessary. Season two has the understandable reputation of being incredibly confusing. And Mm -hmm. also considering the fact that it was four years ago, that confuses it even more. So I was able to sort of untangle uh, the, the big ball of rubber bands here to try to like parse everything out before we get there. And then uh, I, I listened to that earlier this afternoon, and it, it was very, very helpful, Mike. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm doing my own Major Barrett roles, like the computer, where you can ask mm-hmm. me what happened in Westworld, and I'll be able to provide that to you. <laughs> and then Stranger Things, which is a very different type of sci-fi, especially compared to like the future-y, pasty stuff of what I just described, but still technically sci-fi. Myself and Josh Wiggler are nearing the end of our episodic recaps of Volume 1. We have right now released five of our episode recaps plus general like spoiler filled thoughts about the first seven episodes so if you have checked out stranger things season four which honestly you must have at this point if you're a fan of it it's been around for like two and a half weeks and netflix releases the things i know the episodes are super long but like you've had the time to check it out that's been a lot of fun with josh as well in addition to coverage of barry the boys and so much more happening on post-show recaps So with regards to Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I think it's safe to say that I will be doing another check-in after this season finishes in about a month, hoping to land at least one fun guest there as well to just sum up season one. We know season two is coming, which very much excites me considering how much I love the series so far. But we'll sort of get a wrap-up of the major storylines from the last four episodes, maybe get some new opinions about the characters that exist up to this point, and look ahead as to what other strange new worlds we will be exploring in 2023. But that's going to do it at least for this edition of the Star Trek podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, I know that like the future is not guaranteed to quote Fitzy, especially when it comes to these podcasts that we try to do these as habitual as possible, but life gets in the way. So I do appreciate those of you that have been asking for our coverage of it and have been patient about it. Hopefully This was able to satisfy the taste buds a bit. And it won't be long until we are back talking about Strange New Worlds one more time for you. Thank you all so much for listening. Live long and prosper. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.